mindfulness mode. Food and joy and happiness are connected. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode. And welcome to the show today. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Sit back, relax, and just take in all the enjoyment of today's episode. Hey, Mindful Tribe. What's your best way to wake up? Would it be having brownies for breakfast? Well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about food. We're talking about eating. We're talking about being happy. We're talking about living in the moment and doing what we can do to make this world a better place somehow. I'm here with my guest, Lynn Bowman, today. Lynn, are you in mindfulness mode today? You know, I am in mindfulness mode every day. I'm old and you don't get old without having some mindfulness in your corner, I think. it just, it goes to the territory. Well, I think that as you get older, you do learn to live in the moment more. I think that's true. We treasure every moment. For sure. We try to, yeah. Yeah. So what does mindfulness mean to you, Lynn? It, it, it means a lot of things. It means being still. It means listening. I, almost more than anything to me, it's always listening. Because every time I consciously work at listening, whether it's with someone in the room with me, someone that I've just spoken to or I'm about to speak to, it's also what happens when you're still and it's quiet. And whether we, no matter what we attribute it to, we hear voices, we hear messages, we see things and we hear things to guide us in what we're doing. And I am not here to say I know exactly where it's coming from or who it is. Sometimes I actually I do think I know who it is. But um, if you don't sit still and listen, you miss it. You have to listen. Yeah. And, and I rely on those messages greatly. And they've paid off. A lot of the messages you share have to do with eating and food and how we can live a, a better life more naturally and more easily. Can you tell us about that? I could go on. <laughs> on. But, but uh, you know, you and I are talking about this. It, it is, I, I follow this space, you know, the wellness and holistic health and Ramara space. And everybody is out there now hollering, you know, take these supplements, do this system, measure it, get, you know, pump up this many times. And um, I am here representing grandmas and what your grandma would say. And she would say, honey, sit down, have some soup. Wouldn't she? Yes, she and, would. And, and, and as a grandma, we're, no matter what we look like or where we're um, kind of behaving or not behaving, you know, it's simple. It's really good whole food, real food mostly plant-based, not too much. Boom, that's it. But like so many simple things, okay, how how do I do that? We are in the United States, especially, and in Canada and other parts of the world, we've exported our sad diet, our standard American diet, where we eat meat constantly, three times a day, four times a day. We're eating fast food, where parents, are making themselves nuts, driving their kids all over the place, and they go to Mandarin and hockey and this and that. 
but families aren't sitting down and eating together and they're not making food together and they're not growing food together. Those are things that in the last 50, 60 years, we gave up and wrongly so. We should not have given them up. Um, it's That's what's happened to our health. And you probably saw the same statistics that I do, did this week, Bruce. And, and that is, and I'm not sure if it extended to Canada, but in the United States, our uh, lifespan has substantially gone down in just the last couple of decades. We are living shorter lives as of the past couple of decades. And wow. I hope it gets people, yeah, yeah. Because we were so accustomed to thinking, well, we're getting smarter and we're getting healthier and we're getting, no, we're not. We are not getting healthier. We are living shorter lives. And uh, the pandemic had something to do with that, but chronic disease, it is the big one. And, uh, and guns, um, too many. And I'm not gonna address that today, but the chronic disease part of it is we have a nation of um, obese people who have heart disease and diabetes. Yeah. And those are diseases that can be prevented, reversed, managed by behavior, by food, and by movement. As simple as that. That's it. But hardly anyone wants to do that. I mean, everyone would prefer to take a pill, you know, or um, some kind of little supplement or drink a thing. And the the bad news, if it's bad, I don't think it's bad, but the the hard work of being healthy is somebody has to go in the kitchen and cook something. You have to prepare the food yourself. Yes. You have to source the food and then you have to prepare the food. And of course, historically, that's what grandmas did and moms. Um, and grandma's now at the track you know, or someplace, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> which, you know, hey, I get it. Uh, but somebody has to cook. And we no longer, as a culture, even know how to cook. So brownies for breakfast is a slightly snarky way of getting attention for the fact that if you want a brownie for breakfast, and I often do, I got the recipe for you right here. I can tell you exactly how to make them, and they are great food. They're, it's an easy one bowl thing that you do. The trick is pumpkin and nut butter and monk fruit or another good sugar substitute, no sugar. So you're eating vegetables and really great animal free protein uh, and fiber and all the good stuff that you know you should be eating and you're eating it in a brownie. And what about flour? Doesn't it have flour in it? No flour and no additional oil. It is made oh. only with, I mean, literally, it's just a few uh, ingredients. It's so easy. But the trick is that the nut butter has oil in it. Okay. I mean, we're talking about taking a jar of nut butter, you know, and just putting the whole thing in. I use almond butter typically. Right. And then taking a half a can of pumpkin and dumping it in and uh, an egg or two, I forget how many per bowl, but, and you can use an egg substitute if you want a vegan uh, recipe, a little bit of salt, baking soda, stir it up, put the cocoa powder in there, plain old cocoa powder, no sugar, just dark 
chocolate, which mm -hmm. is great food, right? It's got all kinds of health benefits. Mix it up in a bowl, put it in a pan, bake it, and you have brownies for breakfast. Okay. Well, now that I understand it's not brownies, the processed food, brownies with the, the white sugar and the, the flour, now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole book is full of these hacks, if you will, word everybody's using now. I mean, macaroni and cheese, no worries. Just make it this way. Um, all kinds of ordinary kind of homey stuff, pies, cakes, uh, main dishes, salady kind of things, but I'm not big. I'm not a huge salad fan myself. But in order to be healthy, you do need to eat dark greens two or three times a day. And immediately we all go, how in the heck do you do that? Right? Uh, well, it's easy. I've got little tricks, and including things like always having parsley where you can grab it in a little pot on your sink, whatever. Mm -hmm. Parsley is fabulous food. And we always used to just decorate meat with it. Well, no, eat it, right? Chop it up and throw it on top of your eggs or your sandwich or whatever. It's delicious. People think of pesto as this. And pesto is kind of now a little more fashionable. And you go to a restaurant and they have something with pesto. Pesto, I'm here to tell you, is not necessarily made with basil. It's made with the stuff you chop off of the vegetables that you bring home from the farmer's market. So uh, the tops of carrots, for example, all kinds of things that you would ordinarily just throw in the in the bin, you know, they make great pesto. It's just dark greens chopped fine and you don't need uh, pine nuts, for example. Just, just use the nuts that you have, use walnuts, use some other nut that you have in the fridge that you need to use up and garlic and lemon and so on and you just chop and you've got fabulous pesto dark greens so that's a way to get one meal's worth of dark greens and and it goes on it's just and and then you think well wait that's that's good that's really because eating healthy is not about deprivation it's not about not eating well, well wait a minute we'll talk, and i know you've done shows on intermittent fasting and we can talk about that yeah, too we have eating healthy is just about eating Good food, better food, yummier food than you're eating now. It's changing habits, but somebody does need to go in the kitchen and chop something. Mm -hmm. Well, I noticed the subtitle, A Cookbook for Diabetics and the People Who Love Them. Yes. Was there or is there a diabetic in your life, Lynn? I'm the diabetic in my you life. You are the one, okay. But I used to be. I'm no longer. Ah. And that's how you do it. Uh Diabetes is rampant, uh, and but the difference is that I knew in my early 40s because I had gestational diabetes when my kids were born, mm -hmm. and um, I was told then, as many women are told today, that in as time went on, I would likely develop type 2 diabetes, and I kept asking to be tested as I went in on my regular exams and they'd say, well, you're not overweight and you're so young and don't worry about. And I finally got someone to test me and sure enough, I was over the line. And so I, and, and my mother had died early. So I had this special kind of, um, what do you call it? Uh, just a need. I was going to stay alive mm. for my kids. Sure. And I was not going to leave them. So I was going to do whatever I needed to do 
to stay healthy, mm-hmm. which right there is a thing that I'd love to see some other people have that determination or find a reason to be determined to believe that they are worthy of good health is maybe another way of putting it. So I started on this quest a long time ago, understanding not exactly what all the rules were going to be, because in those days, the um, American Association of Diabetes or whatever it was, uh, would say, well, don't eat a lot of sugar and don't eat a lot of carbs and this and that, but really no guidance. And a lot of the guidance was not particularly good guidance. And in the last 10 years, 15 years, a lot of good stuff has come out about what the answer really is in, in terms of diabetes and heart disease, kind of the same thing. And it's this business of eating better quality carbs. Uh, the short, uh, and I hope I can say this on the air because I'm a granny, uh, it's no crap. Yeah. Just don't eat crap. Make every calorie good, yummy, nutritious food. And what you find and what your body will tell you is, hey, that was great, right? And you'll have a good response to it. And all of a sudden, all the stuff that are, that is advertised on TV with your stunt deprived second is you don't need it anymore because you're not eating the stuff that's making your tummy hurt. Right, exactly. And unfortunately, we're being steered in a different direction through fast food restaurants and advertising and what you see when you go into the grocery store. The minute you walk in there, there's all the... As you all say, right the crap front. is right, right there. All right in front, you bet. You have to, it, 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 it kind of tickles me in a way because I don't even go in grocery stores much anymore at all. But when you do, for whatever reason, you bump right immediately into the bakery. Mm-hmm. And Lord help you if you're hungry because there's the bakery with all of the stuff. And then you go around the corner and there's the hot food bar. Oh my goodness. And then you go around the corner and there's the booze. There's the wine and the whiskey. <laughs> And then you go around the corner and then there's the frozen aisle. Oh my gosh, what's there? Well, you know what's there. So nobody ever even makes it out to the celery, right? The, the exactly. produce and the good stuff is, is in the corners and it's not very glam and it doesn't smell great. So um, yeah, they make their money on that. And now it's grab and go. There's a big section just as you walk in that's called grab and go or some version of that that is stuff that... Mm, it, but the problem, Bruce, is that we are all so pressed for time. We've, we have compressed our time in this weird way so that the thing that doesn't get any is food and table. So um, I would like to see a sort of reverse course in that. I would like to see us sitting with our kids and our grandparents and our parents at a table again uh, and talking. Um, I'm also reading, as I'm sure you are, about what's happening to kids who are now going to college. One third of the kids who show up in the freshman year at college don't make it any further than that year. One third. Wow, one third. I had no idea the numbers were that high. And what the teachers are saying and what the school administrators are saying, and I'm not surprised at all, kids are to a great extent totally unprepared for life away from home, for life in college, to be responsible for their schedule, to be responsible for their food, 
to be responsible for their feelings, to be responsible literally for any part of their adorable little lives. And I think, and uh, somebody else is going to have to study this because I don't have time. I'm busy. Okay. Um, I think it's that we don't have conversations with our children as part of a bigger conversation, the way you do at a table, a meal. Uh, I think I can't speak for you, but when we were growing up, we sat at a table with other, we had to defend our position at the table. We had to converse. We had to make sense. We had to listen. And, and we had to have table manners. We had to know how to be with other people. And kids now eat out of a bag or a box on the way to martial arts, on the way to baseball, on the way to piano. And I wanna challenge all parents to think deeply about the skill set that's gonna matter when your kid is 18 to 20. Is it is it that they practiced piano? I mean, how many people who take piano? And I love music and I want kids to have a music education, but I don't want kids to miss out on people education, human interaction education, because they had one more choir practice. Right, exactly. Well, you know, I think that a lot of kids are missing out because they're spending so much time online, watching videos, playing games, their faces are into, you know, phones and, and computers and devices of that sort. And I just find it very sad that, you know, like I go for a a run every day. Sometimes it's a walk, but it's always for, for an hour. And mm -hmm. I walk by homes that have beautiful play sets and they have pools. And, they have, and, there's, and I almost never see any children out there. You know, gorgeous pools and, and play areas and everything else that are just abandoned. Where are the children? Well, they're inside. But you have to ask yourself, where are the adults? Where are the adults? And where are the adults? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're not they're, they're not, not out there either <laughs> either and they're not walking with you maybe um I that's don't know, true but, that's true they're but not if you if you and i i live in a very a rather remote place i i live in the country and and um am sort of a recluse um in a way but when i do get out and i just went to la for the first time uh since covid i actually went down there, drove down there and, and had a blast with my friend. But being out there on the sidewalk in Santa Monica, watching people, wow, two and a half years has brought a lot of change, a lot of change. And um, everybody has their phone. Everybody is yeah. in their phone. And, and even if you're in a fascinating place, where you would think you would want to kind of be taking it in, you're still on your phone. Yeah. Um, I was interested to see that there were a lot of signs that said plant-based and vegan and, you know, rah, 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 which that's new. That wasn't there. Uh, and I even found a sugar-free bakery. Oh, yes. Oh, did you? Almost everything in there. They had a thing with honey in it and so on, but they had a lot of sugar. And that's unusual. I don't, I don't know of that being in many places. We've started a couple of them here. A couple of friends 
are baking from my recipes. Thank you mm -hmm. very much, girls, Jessica and and Erica in Southern California, Northern California, and they have great businesses going, making sugar-free, gluten-free, vegan donuts. Wow, good for them. That is the great. Recipe, the recipes are right here. The recipe's uh, right in your book. Right in my book. And they have riffed and done more interesting things with the recipes, which is great. I love to see that. But the idea is you can make them too. It's, it's not hard. It's pretty easy. And when you put a donut with pink frosting and sprinkles in front of a kid, trust me, they don't say no. They don't even, they're fine eating vegetables in donut form, right? And your grumpy grandpa, just don't tell them. <laughs> you know, because he would say something like, what do you mean sugar-free? What kind of, you know, uh, yeah oh, grandpa here you go um, yeah yeah so we're going all kinds of directions yeah well lynn it's fascinating what you've done with this cookbook and and uh, i'm just really interested in any of the feedback you've received from people that have gotten their hands on it and, and i know you've even uh well you tell us tell us about some of the feedback you've received well it, it's been such an interesting time because I came out with a book just as podcasting was really catching on fire. Mm -hmm. And so that it's allowed me to meet you and yeah. a, a lot of other people kind of on a similar journey, trying to help people get healthier, which sign me up. It's great. Um, the feedback that I get is it's fun. What? Um, we think of cookbooks as being this, okay, well you open up the page and it's this line you've got to figure out and you got to make I'm here to tell you, I'm a lazy cook, I'm a messy cook, but my food's good. And yours will be too. It, it's just kind of put aside those ideas that cooking is a chore or cooking is a mathematical problem or, or that you need all kinds of, I give a complete list of the things that you really need. You can get them all at the thrift store. You know, there's nothing fancy that you need. And, and I tell you what to throw out of your kitchen and what to keep in your kitchen. And once you get those basics established and you stop eating processed flour and, and cane sugar, processed sugar, you've kind of solved a lot of your weight problems and health problems right there. Um, and and we, we mentioned fasting and I do fasting has actually been a real interesting discussion for diabetics mm -hmm. and and what's new in the world of diabetes is that the docs have realized that the way to get people out of diabetic territory in many cases is intermittent fasting which means nothing more than don't eat all the time don't eat all day and all night and, and, you know, so many of us are throwing pizza down in front of Jimmy Kimmel at night at 11 or 12. That's, that's all you need to stop doing if you stop eating at a sensible time. And in my case, I'm very much a lark. I'm, I'm up early in the morning and I like my breakfast, as you know, um, brownies, that kind With of thing. the brownies, yes. But I quit eating at 2 or 3 in the afternoon. I'm done. And as a grandma, I'm also here to tell you it's great because the kitchen's clean, Right. I'm done. I've cleaned it up. And and then what you realize when you begin to practice that is, oh, I'm not even really hungry. I Yeah, I don't really want anything. And have you had anyone on talking about autophagy? 
No. Okay, well, let's talk. Let's talk about, about it. Autophagy, one of my favorite new vocabulary words, because it literally means self-eating. It's the process in which your cells clean themselves up. They groom themselves. Think of those cells all through your body doing a little kitty cat thing where they just take care of themselves and their neighbor cells are busted up. Well, we'll take those. They recycle all of the molecules that aren't working and they make them work in another way. It sounds simplistic the way I'm saying it, but look it up, A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y. And it is, it's like the night crew on the freeway. Once everybody is gone, the crew comes out and they sweep and they do all the things, but they can't do that unless the freeway is empty. Your body can't do that unless you quit eating at a decent hour. You need to leave 16, 18 hours whenever possible of no food. But do the math. Okay, if I quit eating at two or three in the afternoon, then yeah, I just have a late breakfast tomorrow and I'm good. And what that does is a huge health benefit because you're cleaning house. You're getting rid of all this waste material that can't be cleaned out if you don't stop eating. Another thing I want people to think about, because we all talk about keto and paleo and things. 5,000 years ago, people were not eating three meals a day. They weren't eating, they weren't eating two meals a day. They were really lucky to get one meal a day. Mm -hmm. And that was probably because grandma went out to the woods and got some mushrooms and some purslane and some greens and turned them into something. You know, we have this kind of silly idea about people going out and catching animals all the time. You know, I live where there's mountain lions. I get that. Yeah, I mean, literally, we have them on the property up close and personal. If you don't have to go out and chase critters, large critters down and kill them and drag them home and take it. You don't want to. It's not a fun thing. And uh, it's not an easy thing. And what people were eating was foraged greens um, or, you know, dug up uh, roots, things from the earth. And that's what we've stopped eating. Yeah. yeah. I, I hear you. It's so important to back off on the meat, back off on the processed food, back off on all these things that are, are not serving us. And they're not, they're doing the very opposite. And they're not serving the planet. No. Uh, so it's impossible to talk about this uh, without emphasizing that when you are healthy, when you're doing the healthy things for your body, you are also doing the best thing you can do for your neighbors for the earth, for the air, for everything. Because, and I'm sure you've, you've done a million shows, so I'm sure you've talked about factory farming and uh, those other things because they, when we talk about happiness, as you do, it's, it's eating happily and making your body happily nourished from the inside out. Without that, it's very hard to be happy in a good place mentally if you haven't fed yourself well yeah, uh, it really I, is yeah it you really can't is. do it 
really. No, absolutely true. Lynn, I want to make sure I ask you this question because I always ask my interviewees this question about bullying because I've worked in the field of bullying prevention for quite some time and I really am interested in how my guests have made a parallel how you've made the connection possibly some of my guests have and some haven't but there is a connection between bullying and mindfulness do you have a a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference oh gosh great question and I don't have anything popping into my head right away. Um, Bullying is such a a universal subject. And in in my life, I more than once had to kind of go against the grain. Um, And I don't know, you might have to ask me the question a different way. My career was such that very often I was the only girl in the room. And men, as you know, have a very subtle way of bullying women when they feel that their territory is being encroached upon. Right. So I think I learned kind of early in my adult game um, how to be strong and still in myself no matter who else was in the room um, and no matter what their problems were. Mm -hmm. um, So you held your space. You were able to. I did hold my space. Yeah. 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 And I, and maybe also I I was a single mother, three kids. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to, I needed the money. I needed the work and I couldn't survive on just, okay, you know, like I, and I happily had the ability to do a thing that because I landed in Silicon Valley. That's part of it. Um, but I was I was a um, doing something that they wanted. Right. So so I had to negotiate with everything in my body and soul to trade that for my family's livelihood and health. And to do that, I had to hold my space. And I also learned that that was part of the sales process. That when I walked in the room, I needed to bring with me this message of, I'll fix you up. I'll take care of you. I will do this for you. Don't worry. And when when you walk in the room with those angels, with those voices with you, you can stand strong. Not always. I mean, you know, I know there must have been times when I left the room, went and cried in a bathroom someplace. But um, I understood in a way the kabuki part of it, the theater of strength. You know, it's not just being strong. It's projecting strength, I think, in a wholesome way. And... um, Part of that is being kind. Because when you do your best to project kindness to people, that feels strong to you and to them, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It really does. So kind of interesting to look back at a career in advertising, you know, and go, oh, you were all about kindness. Um, 
I, that had a lot to do with it. And, and my job actually was listening to people because I would take their company, their brand, their, their product and put the words in the pictures to it. So I was, I was taking input from them and then giving it back to them in a way that I hope they would go, Oh yeah, that's us. You know? Yeah. That's what we did. So, so it served me to learn how to listen, uh, not to just what they were saying, but to who they were and who they wanted to be. Uh, because in a way, my job was to give them back who they wanted to be. Wow. And you not only work in advertising, but you've worked in a lot of different other areas as a makeup artist, a screenwriter, an illustrator, a journalist, a television weather person. Wow. You've done so many different things, Lynn. Uh, you know why? Why? You know why? Because I graduated from high school in 1964. Okay. Female. That's, wow, that's hard to believe. Okay, what was available for females to do professionally in 1964? Well, you could be a teacher or a nurse. That's what comes to mind, first of all. That right, was... but, but to be a teacher or a nurse, I had to go on and do four years college, get a degree, do some right. stuff. I went to UCLA for three semesters and went, Yeah. so bored. I hate this. Um, my dad couldn't afford it. I had scholarships that still wasn't enough. And I thought, this is crazy. I want to work. I want to do something. So I just went out and took whatever somebody was willing to hire me to do. Mm -hmm. And I had wanted to be an artist. And so I, you know, makeup artist and a couple of other things were sort of related to that. And I was in LA. So a lot of my friends were in the movie business, TV business. It like, you know, if you were in a place where lumber was a thing, you would have wound up making lumber, right? Sure. But I was I literally, I'm sorry, I was born in Hollywood, California, of all the nutty places to be born. So my friends were like, well, we're doing a movie. Can you come over? Can you play the part? So I go, yeah, okay. And so I acted and I wrote. Um, I, I did this. I had friends that needed stuff and I'd say, yeah, I can do that. Okay, yeah. All right, probably did a lot of it really badly, but I did it. And and that's another thing that I think as a culture, we're kind of, we're, we're scaredy cats about failure and yes. about our kids failing. And I'm a big believer in failure as being a great teacher. Mm -hmm. you know, the more times, and also as someone who loves horses, your butt hits the dirt, you know, it just does, it just will. If, if you are willing to go out there and work with these wonderful animals, these big, wonderful creatures, you are eventually going to get dirt all over you. You're going to get bruised. You're going to get, but you learn that that's, there's no shame in that. You know, you get up literally it's corny, but you do, you brush yourself off and you get back on. You really do. And, and sometimes you have to really talk to yourself more than once. <laughs> you have and, to be your own oh, cheerleader, don't you? Oh my gosh, you know, but so I did a lot of things badly, but I put it in my resume for the reason that you can imagine is I want to talk about the fact that, hey, our lives are not this clean line from, you know, through college and getting a degree and then getting another degree. No, no. And I had so many friends who were on the clean line and graduated and started with a law firm and three weeks later went this. 
sucks. I, you know, this is just awful because a lot of it is. Yeah. It, it sounds great. It's great on paper. It's not a life you want, possibly. Maybe it is, but it might not be. So met, people who've been to medical school started practicing medicine and gone, oh, dang. Well, that's a it, very tough road. Yeah, for sure. You know, here's a surprising one. People who are veterinarians spend, the, it has the highest suicide rate of any profession now. And I, I have heard case. that. Yeah. But when you think about it, they are with people every day who are losing their beloved fur babies. Mm -hmm. And they have to experience this over and over and over again, euthanizing big animals, small animals. And that's what their time largely is spent doing. Oh, yeah. You know, and I hadn't really thought about that. So anyway, that's going back to well, that's very you know, brutal. Yeah. When having when done all way. those things. And I will tell you that I was by far, I, I would challenge anyone to um, be a worse weather person than I was. <laughs> NBC affiliate in North Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina was terrible, but I'd gone there supposedly to read news and I got there and, oh no, here's, here's the weather desk. And in those days, they didn't care if you were a meteorologist or anything. It's like, oh, she's got, you know, she can do it. She's sure. Uh, so <laughs> I was awful, but it didn't last for very long, but it took me to a next step and back to the advertising business and eventually mm -hmm. back to California, where I had this fascinating number of years working in technology, just as the microcomputer was giving, you know, the world a whole new thing to play with. Mm -hmm. But in those days, Bruce, you know, a big thing that we had to do was teach men to touch a keyboard because they were, it, women were the ones who touched keyboards. Right, yes. Real men did not touch keyboards. So we had to do this whole thing of making a, a keyboard manly for men. Um, and and now we, we know where that went. Yes, we know that we're <laughs> We'd like to rip some of those keyboards away from some of those guys now. <laughs> yeah, for I won't sure. any names, but yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, Lynn, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30-second oh, answers are perfect. And uh, so here's the first one. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Mindfulness influence in my life. Mm. Um, that, you know, that's kind of, okay, well, I'll say my trainer, uh, Kristen, that I work out with three days a week. And she, she is a great teacher. And as we train our bodies, she is the first one to say, let's understand where we have to come from mindfully. So I give Kristen, Kristen, I hope you're watching, absolute credit for bringing me back. Um, oh, that's awesome. Mindfulness all the time. My second question is about your emotions, Lynn. How has mindfulness helped you to deal with your emotions differently? Well, honey, as I told you, I'm old. I had all my emotions removed in the 70s, or I never <laughs> would have survived. They're gone. They're just gone. 
So I'm sorry, but what was the question again? Just about how you deal with your emotions, maybe deal with them differently as a result of mindfulness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I was brought up at a time when your emotions should never, never appear in the room with you. I mean, you know, we didn't yeah. have. And so I'm afraid to a great extent, I still uh, don't have them. And maybe humor is the way I deal with my emotions for the most part. Um, emotions. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting that you said that because, yeah, well, I grew up in that time too. <laughs> you know, like, no, we didn't talk about our emotions. And if we had emotions, we suppressed them. You yeah, know? just take it in the other room. You know, come on. Yeah. Just yeah. deal with it. And get yeah. moving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. My my next question is about breathing. And maybe with your your coach and your trainer, maybe you work together on some of these things. But do you have any comments about breathing and how important that is in your life? Absolutely. And uh, is his name James Nestor, I think it is, that just wrote Breath? Oh, yeah. Wonderful book. And uh, appreciated it and ate the whole thing up. Uh, and thanks to him, I am learning to close my mouth when I breathe. Mm. Huge. I, I And it's such a small thing, and it kind of fit with the kinds of things that I teach, which simple. It's simple. There's nothing elaborate or crazy about it. A lot of us know now about um, box breath, square breath, relaxation techniques, but just the simplicity of, especially when you go to sleep at night, keep your mouth closed. Yes. Yeah. Good advice. And are there any apps that you use or recommend or have come across that are helpful in your life? No. Okay. And that's, that's perfectly after, fine. After I talk to you, I'm sure. <laughs> Think of one. Yeah. But, but mm. you know, no. Um, and I don't, everybody says, you're still wearing a watch with numbers on it. What's wrong with you? I don't have, I'm, I'm the only person I know who isn't wearing apps on her wrist around here. I mean, yeah. 10 miles from Stanford University is a pro flies and Silicon Valley. And, and it's all apps all the time. But uh, no, I, I still have numbers on my watch. I don't have, it's not telling me what my heart beat is or anything. No. Well, it's really great to have a conversation with you and, and to just hear your story and, and hear how, you know, we just need to simplify life. We just need to like get back to the basics, get rid of some of this processed food and, and so much time online and all this kind of thing. What would your final words of advice be to someone who is listening to this and thought, yeah, this is a, a solid message. What can I do to get started with this? buy my book. <laughs> okay. It's all right there. It's going to tell you everything. But it, it's all about eating joyfully. I, I want us all to eat mindfully and happily and joyfully. Food and joy and happiness are connected. They absolutely are connected because hopefully you're sitting with loved ones, with potential loved ones with people. Uh, so eat joyfully and mindfully. 
Yeah, and once more, the book is called Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them. And I just love you and your message. And it's just been awesome to sit here and have this conversation. Thanks so much, Lynn, for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, you're doing great stuff, Bruce, and I, I really, really appreciate it. Hope we can do it again. Yeah, for sure. I hope so, too. You have a great rest of your day. You, too. Yep. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to the show today. Wasn't it fun to hear Lynn hear her answer the questions and chat about brownies for breakfast? And you know, her book, Brownies for Breakfast, would make an awesome gift for someone, an awesome Christmas gift or gift for any time of the year. And uh, also, I don't know if I mentioned her website during the interview. It's lynnbowman.com, L-Y-N-N-E, B-O-W-M-A-N, lynnbowman.com. So check that out. And I also want to mention Grammarly. I mention them at various times because I really value Grammarly because it helps me. Sometimes maybe I miss some uh, grammatical thing that I'm uh, doing when I'm writing or spelling error or something. And it can help you too. So it can really point out your spelling or grammatical errors so quickly and help you get through your writing faster and more accurately. And you can get started by using Grammarly for free. And you can do that by using my affiliate link. That helps me, that helps you, because you can get going right away. And you know, Grammarly works with all sorts of different applications. Desktop, works on your phone, it works on various apps and on emails and different things. So check out Grammarly. I think you'll be glad you did. You can get my affiliate link and get going right away. That will benefit me. It will benefit you by getting the free Grammarly to get started. The link is mindfulnessmode.com slash Grammarly. G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.